Your brain is sabotaging you and you don't even know it. My brain is doing the same thing. And Coach Dominica talks about this today in this episode on the Coach Up podcast. She talks about the fact that our brain is a muscle. We often think of it as intangible and something that we need to think through how to improve, but yet there's so many more layers to it. And we need to actually monitor our own thoughts because our brain is actually, as Dominica says, lying to us. We have to be able to catch those thoughts. So our brain has to catch our brain on our thoughts to help it stop sabotaging us and to create new ways, new neuro pathways of thinking so that we can actually stop sabotage and start being successful in every area of our life where we desire. This interview with Coach Dominica will completely change how you think about your brain and it will challenge you to actually start monitoring, managing, and being intentional about your brain health. So dive in. You do not want to miss this episode of the Coach Up Podcast. Let's get into it. Okay. You said your brain. Yes. And you're connecting the food you eat with your brain type. Yes. Yes. What is that? So brain coaching, which is what I do, is from also Dr. Aitman, is realizing that it's not you who's malfunctioning or there's nothing wrong with you. It's the organ that's not functioning at the optimum. Obviously, you're walking around, you're talking, you have friends, you're doing things, so your brain is doing kind of okay. But for example, let's say you have big addiction towards basal ganglia and not based towards like drugs or foods or sugars and you get addicted quickly. That is malfunctioning of your basal ganglia. And that little piece of part of your body, your brain, um, kind of does things to make you like this. And it's not optimized. So what we can do, we can reduce certain input of serotonin or oxytocin or other or dopamine that is And it's all connected through the food. So for example, another thing, you say you um, are depressed, right? You identify, because when you say you are, that means I am depressed. You identify depressed. Okay, fine. So what happens is very often doctors miss one thing, getting your blood work done. Because my dear, if you're lacking iron, but not in the norm, but in the optimum level, lacking magnesium, D3, ferritin you will feel depressed and thyroid those are things that need to be checked and not just regular but a full panel of thyroid so as a brain coach before i start coaching and go hey why don't we check if it's really something we need to work on or maybe you're just deficient in some things if you're not deficient and you're not in the so being in the regular range doesn't mean you're good and that's the biggest misconception yeah Regular range, for example, for your vitamin D3 is between 30 and 100. That's you're in the norm. I guarantee you that if you're having D3, which is actually a hormone, um, at a level of 30, no nutrients that are necessary for producing your neural connections and improving functioning of your brain are getting to your brain because it's not enough of D3 and it never gets there. So you are feeling down. So what Dr. Amen recommends most of the time is the range between 60 and 80. 
So if you had 40, that's still not enough. We have 50, that's still not enough. We need to supplement that. Now, there are ways to supplement that with supplements or without supplements. I recommend both. If you can get it up and if you're not far off, definitely morning walks, not evening walks, morning walks in the sun. You absorb much more and you also change your mood and there are things you can do with your body because your body is connected to your brain, <laughs> kind of. They're kind of the same thing, you know? Your body decides that your heart beats and you're unconscious of that. Your body decides that you're processing food and you're unconscious of that. My body decides that I'm expressing myself, moving my hands and I'm unconscious. It's not like I'm going, I'm going to say something and I'm going to move my hands. <laughs> right. Right? It's unconscious. Right. We call this unconscious competence and you are perfect the way you are and some things need to be optimized. So for example... Um, when you are depressed, right? And you feel like, well, you feel depressed. You're not, you notice the difference in vocabulary. I am depressed. You feel depressed. When you feel depressed, what do humans do? I want you to imagine a depressed person. I are sleep? they sitting up straight, back straight and smiling? No. No. They automatically go inwards, head down, look down, speak quietly. Hmm. Now, what we what we don't realize is that most of us are programmed in some ways. If, for example, you pull your, in that state, you pull your arms back, head up, force yourself to smile, no matter if you like it or not, you will release dopamine and other hormones that will make you feel better. If you stand up and start jumping, guess what? You will change your state. And this is connected with your brain. It's not magic, it's science. So of course, if you're clinically depressed, I'm not the person to talk to. You need to talk to a clinician because I'm not a doctor, I'm a brain coach. So I deal with everything that's not, you know, need, needing a need of medication. But I work with a lot of doctors who want to get you off the medication. And that's another thing. If you're depressed and you're on antidepressants, and I was on antidepressants for over 20 years huh. uh, because I'm epileptic. And this was always paired up. Antidepressants and epilepsy meds were always given together. And because of the knowledge I gained from Dr. Amen and from neuroencoding, I decided, okay, let's utilize this on me. And again, you always got to discuss it with your doctor. I took a chance on me. So I supplemented according to my brain type and what is happening to me with supplements of saffron and GABA and a few other things that are high quality. And after about two months of taking that, I went, okay, let's see if I reduce the dose, what's going to happen. Guess what? Nothing happened. And then I reduced the dose again. And it's been now over two years. I haven't touched antidepressants because I don't need them. And Congrats. at the same time, I taught myself and I teach my clients that as well, the tools, because you will feel down and that's normal. Feeling down is normal, guys. Feeling anxious is normal. Feeling nervous is normal. Feeling angry is normal. All of that, that you're trying to say, oh my God, I'm doing, no, you are absolutely 100% human. It's called human experience. Mm -hmm. What is challenging is if you stay in that feeling and don't know how to get out of it. That's when you need help. That's when you need to resort to different activities. And how long do you, is it fun feeling down? I mean, if you enjoy it, then we definitely need to talk.
because most people don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And there are techniques you can do that without taking medication. Now, usually what it is, is you work with a coach like me, who's a brain coach for about six months. And if we don't see significant improvement, then I go, hey, you know what? Go to a therapist or go to a psychiatrist and let's try medication because maybe there are some other things that I cannot work with that you need support. You need to um, kind of stabilize your brain. What's important is when you do take the medication, go back, get coaching to rewire your brain. So when you get off the medication, you have tools not to go back to the same place. The biggest mistake people make, they take a pill and they forget they had an issue. But if you don't get the tools while you're okay, you will always stay on the pills. I don't know if you know, if you guys can type it, for example, into Google. If you type in Florida fish antidepressants, there was a study done not long ago, a year ago. It turns out that all fish, almost all fish that were taken from Florida coast we're on antidepressants. I'm fish. sorry, what? Yes. How is fish. that possible? We pee it out into the water. That's how much we take that it now is ingested by the coastal fish. Now, That's this horrible. Really so we have very happy fish now, uh, which is great. Um, I'm That's being, horrible. The truth is, we overuse medicine. And what science has found is that placebo effect and the natural ways of dealing with a lot of things work until you are in a state where you actually need medication. So with all the respect to everybody healers, and I believe in a lot of things, but if you have stage four cancer, I would strongly suggest trying other things than drinking juice. I would strongly suggest going and using the modern medicine um if your hand was disabled or i don't know you lost it in an accident you have that limb in your hand natural methods might not work you need the modern medicine so what is amazing about dr amen and the way i coach people on trade i embrace everything that we have in this world and we try everything now me being epileptic i will not get off meds ever because i do not want to go back into having grandma seizures But what I was able to do with lifestyle changes, supplements, and working on me and rewiring my brain, reacting differently, reducing stress, um, taking care of myself, I was able to reduce from 2,000 units a day down to 500 units a day. And that's a success. We're good, right? So sometimes this is a success. Being totally off medication is not uh, because not everybody can. Now, some type 2 diabetes can be managed with food and the way you function some of them cannot now you got to give it a try and then play with those things when doctor looks at you and i just to be clear i don't work with people who are diabetic because that's a nutritionist thing but what i do know is that depending on the brain type you have different foods will support your behavior so let's just say um you have add or mm-hmm. you think you have ADD, or mm-hmm. you've been diagnosed with it. Are you aware that there are seven types? No, you I didn't know that. Every ADHD person has the same type. There are tests that we can do and assessments to see which type you have. Now, what's interesting, I had a few clients come to me and they go, you know what? 
I keep switching things and I forget things and I I am very disturbed and you know I do a lot of things at the same time. I think I have ADHD. I was just never diagnosed. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. So of course we did the test and of course it came out that they have no ADHD because not every behavior that is listed on ADHD is ADHD. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. So um, Dr. Amen has, and brain coaches have that assessment where we send it out to you and you can take, and it kind of puts you in which type of a category you are. If you go to my LinkedIn page and also my Facebook page, I posted different types of ADHD and scans of them where they're located in the brain and different medication, different behaviors, different patterns, different habits and foods will work with different ADHD. That's why Adderall is not fixed all. That's hmm. so why it doesn't work on some people because that ADHD is in a different part of your brain. And also, if you're, for example, in high stress and you don't even recognize it, but it has been permanent, you will develop some behaviors that might look like ADHD. If you're depressed, clinically or not clinically, but for a longer period of time, forgetfulness is part of that. There's also something called pseudodementia, which is actually severe depression that mimics dementia. And that's very often misdiagnosed. Now, as a brain coach, I don't diagnose that, but I am aware of that. And if I see some signals, I'm like, eh, something is not right here. I will send you to a doctor because they can diagnose that and they will know what type of test to do. So there's so many things with the brain and it's an organ. And what's amazing about Dr. Amen, who trained me and several hundred other coaches and also professionals, is that he's the first guy who said, okay, if you are a cardiologist, do you look at the heart? Well, of course. I mean, you don't operate on anything unless you look at it. Great. If you are a surgeon, do you look at those parts you're going to operate? Of course, before you do medication, you, you know, you do ultrasounds, different types of tests. Right. Well, notice that with psychiatry and psychology till now, we would self-diagnose. We would say, I feel like this. Or mm-hmm. the survey would go, for example, to a teacher who already had presupposition about the kid. And they would go, oh, they behave like this because that's how they would behave in classroom. And It was based on their view of that child. Now, to be very honest, children are not supposed to sit quietly for eight hours a day in the classroom. That is not a normal behavior of a child. I know we would like that. No, no, we just don't. But that's not what we do as kids. We run around. We are active. We are interested in a lot of things. We kind of... And we have different attention spans. And guess what? Until age of seven, our prefrontal cortex, which is decision-making skills, is not really working. I mean- it, Oh, it's not working. Okay. Yeah. I've heard it wasn't completely formed until you're 25, but it's well, seven, up until seven, so it's not up even. Up to seven, it's basically here and there, something shows up, but it, you, I was kind of, how can I put this in the simpler terms? Um it's not fully developed, yes, until you're 25, female 20, about 28, male, that is very true. But up to the age of seven, it is almost non-existent. It's the last part of your brain that starts developing. So now looking at the current state of our environment with all understanding that people go through different beliefs and transitions, 
Do we really want to give seven, 13, 14 year olds a decision making, altering their life for the rest of their life? When the decision making part of the organ is not fully developed? That's the question. The Coach Up Podcast is open to sponsors. If you have a product, a service, if you are a coach of coaches, your business serves coaches. This is the place where you want to spotlight and highlight your business. If you would like to grab your own sponsorship spot on the Coach Up Podcast, you can reach out to me at coachup at gmx.us today to reserve your spot for us to talk about how you can get in front of this growing audience. And the amazing thing is because the Coach Up podcast is still new, you will be able to get in for extremely reasonable rates for a much longer time for your product, your service, your company to be in front of this growing audience of coaches. So take advantage today. If you would like to hear how you can spotlight your business on the Coach Up podcast, Are you talking about giving them the dr a drug that will alter their yes. Okay, I gotcha. So you're talking about giving them ADHD. Mean they're not going to get support. Doesn't mean we're not going to counsel them. It doesn't mean we're not, we are going to do all of that. But it's very important that we realize that human development is at stages. And um, as a coach, when, for example, let's just say you've been drinking since you were 16 till now you're 25 and you're still drinking. Do you realize that your emotional development stops at 16? So you're because of alcohol? Mm -hmm. Okay, wait, what kind of level of consumption? Are you talking about a I'm not talking about a, a glass day? If you're partying heavily. Okay. Um, so you're drinking heavily. So heavily, I would consider that. So scientifically, I believe it's three glasses of wine a day. Uh, for okay. a teenager is destructive extremely because your brain is developing. So everything that stops that development, including marijuana, has really, really bad consequences. The good thing is brain function can be restored most of the time if that's what you did. But oh, that's good to but, know. Yeah. So it, nothing is permanent. And although you're predisposed to a lot of things. So, for example, if your family is predisposed to being obese, it doesn't mean you're going to be obese. If you are abused, most likely use that as an excuse to not take care of yourself properly. Does that mean you will have to look at yourself more carefully and be more careful? Yeah, it will. The fact that I'm epileptic predisposed my girls to being epileptic. It doesn't mean they're going to have epilepsy. And they had seizures up to the age of 19. They haven't had in quite a few years their seizures, but they are predisposed. So they do need to sleep. They do need to take their vitamins. They do need to learn how to manage stress. So all of that, and even if you go into a range, right? Or you have problems of memory, your brain, there are certain parts like temporal lobes responsible for your memory. And they're also responsible for learning and mood stability. So our brain has literally designated functions. And as a brain coach, we look at your brain and we work with what's happening in that area. We enhance because why doesn't it work? It's very simple. Very often, and again, this is generalized because there are some conditions like schizophrenia that I will not work with. I will not work with bipolar disorder. Those are typical psychiatric disorders, but the general anxiety 
it's usually your belief system. It's it's nothing wrong with you. You are living in the future. And most people with anxiety go, what will those people think about me? What will they say? They will probably think that. And they wind themselves up. So what happens when you believe something and you keep repeating, like walking, right? We first take one step, we fall. Take two steps, we fall. Three steps. So that neural pathway is first a tiny, tiny And then when you repeat, it becomes a little pathway in a forest. And then when you repeat it over and over, it becomes a road, but just only one way. Then it becomes a two-way road, and then it becomes a highway. So what happens is if you keep repeating the same thought and you don't stop it, we call this automatic negative thoughts, you okay. will build a highway. And you will basically don't see the little hair and the little pathways that are under because they're too invisible you will get on the highway every time so what a brain coach does and a neuroencoding person like me we find those highways and we find those little paths and we then build those little paths that are healthy and we overlap those highways so now the healthy path is visible so you're def you default to your best behavior automatic yes. negative thoughts are phenomenal because there are ways to question your brain do you know your brain lies to you like regularly like it lies. It's not your best friend. Your brain is not your friend. It's trying to protect you. It is. Actually, it's trying to prove you right. Oh, so if we have a, a thought that is incorrect, or yeah. as you're talking about negative, then my brain is doing everything in its power to substantiate and to prove my original thought is correct. Yep, exactly that. Okay. So let's say you wake up in the morning. And you go, what is amazing thing that's going to happen to me today? You direct your brain to looking for something amazing that's going to happen. And your brain will find that because something amazing happens to us every day, small or big. But if you wake up in the morning, oh my God, I hate Mondays. I wonder what today is going to bring. I guarantee you that you're going to find something that is not working. And that you're going to get upset. Somebody's going to get in front of your car. Um, you know, somebody's not going to smile when you expect them to smile. And go, oh, yeah, they're rude. See, I knew something was going to happen today. You're not going to get an answer in the email. And you're going to focus on that. And you're going to go, yeah, that, that is the reason, you know. I love um, that you said that. Because so many people talk about, oh, it's Monday. And I've never, I never understood it. I was like, it's just another day. Like, what, what are you going to do? What are we I doing love with Mondays. it? I love Mondays. They're amazing. I love Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. Why? Because they live in a certain pattern. They've heard that over and over from their parents. Oh my God, I got to go to work. When is the weekend? We celebrate hump day. Thank God it's Friday. We're literally programming ourselves every day to be miserable. Mm -hmm. Doing that to ourselves. Yeah. So today I had an epiphany on me. Um, and I knew that before, but today it came like kind of flashing in my face. I'm like, hmm, I'm going to tell them about that. So oh. when something happens, right? And let's say I was talking to a person that we might work together. And instead of celebrating the fact that somebody noticed that I do valuable work, instead of celebrating that they gave me their time and we had a great conversation, I said, nah. Now, I'm not going to celebrate that. I'm going to wait until we sign a contract. Now, think about your life. How often you start doing things and things fall through? And how often do they come to an end? 
So I deprive myself of joy, waiting for something that will happen or might not happen in the future. So that means to celebrate something and to be happy, I will have to wait. What if I celebrate the fact that they did notice me and they did invite me to have a conversation and they enjoyed the conversation and they said it was valuable to them? Then I have so many reasons to celebrate and I'm not waiting for the big event. Now look at your life and everybody who's listening, look at your life. When do you celebrate? You get married, you have a kid, you graduate, you get a raise, all those things, fantastic. How long does that celebration last? Mm. A day, a week, maybe a You're month. You're good it's a week. Right. Our studies chose three days. So now we live our whole life to celebrate, let's say for a week, once every few years. Mm. Sucks, we have awful lives, guys. That's not a way to live. No wonder we walk around moping mm. because mm. we're waiting for those big, big events, the hero moment. I'm going to save them. I'm going to graduate. Hey, you got an A. Hey, you got up to school. Nobody had to wake you up. Hey, I got to work on time. Hey, somebody made me coffee. Somebody opened the door for me. There's so many things you get to celebrate. Not to say that something, when it doesn't go the way we want to, it's okay to be feeling uncomfortable with it and going, eh, I don't like that. And mm -hmm. it's okay to be angry. What becomes a problem is that when it spreads to a day, two, three, four, and you're still angry about something that happened a week ago, like really? Do you know that the person who made you angry doesn't even remember that they made you angry? Very true. Are they you then a They don't. Are you then a proponent of gratitude journals or what really gratitude journals when people write it every day or a week where they write down what they're grateful for so I don't do journaling I found that although a lot of my clients do and they like writing it down because what you write you invite and it creates new neural pathways in your brain every time you write something you memorize it better as well not on a computer but handwriting by the way Computer and keyboard does not work the same way for your brain. For me, because I'm much more auditory and kinesthetic, I sit in my bed and I set an intention in the morning. I say it out loud so I can hear it. And then before I go to bed, I go, okay, what was amazing about today that I can be grateful for? And I remind myself of three things. What I have found, most people have no clue actually how to do gratitude, although they say they do. Come on. Uh-huh. So most people, not everybody, but most people will repeat over the week the same events. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my work. I'm grateful for my money. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. What you need to find in your life are things that are out of the ordinary that you wouldn't notice otherwise. That's where the intention comes in. And that's when gratitude starts working. Such as? Such as? I was walking into a store and a gentleman held the door for me. A lady at a counter, when she was giving me money, she said, I have nice hair. Um, I found the most beautiful apple in the store and it was just waiting for me. I, uh, my friend texted me and we haven't spoken in weeks. Those are things, out of, somebody let me in traffic when I put on my blinker. See, those are things that we miss 
And those are the little things that make up our life 90% of the time. Can they also be things that we do, such as I made a phone call to a friend today that I haven't talked to in 10 years. Is that the same? Okay. I would say that's more praising yourself than gratitude. Okay. So gratitude is outside where we have no control and we notice that somebody did something for us, although they didn't have to, something happened without our control. Now, what you're doing, I would put that into praising. So going, oh my God, I did so good. I wanted to call and I finally did it. I'm so proud of myself. I rock. I'm freaking awesome. Okay. And that, that is sense. celebrating part, which also wires your brain. And let's go back to our childhood. Okay. When you're a little kid and you're a parent, if there are parents listening, I guarantee you do this. Your kid starts walking. And then you go, you stupid little idiot. How could you fall? That is so ridiculous. You're just so stupid. I cannot believe you fell. You little monster, right? That's what you do, right? All of us. Oh my goodness. I was wondering. I was like, when you started talking, what is she talking about? Okay, no, we don't do that. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> what we do, we go, oh my God, yes, you took your first step. Congratulations. And then the kid's brain goes, oh, they're smiling. It looks nice. It feels good. Let me try again. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, when we get to about age seven, we decide that our kids are not worth celebrating. We stop praising them. We stop being excited. And it's not going, oh, good job, good job. No, that's not praising. That's not celebrating. That's just, I did what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. You feel when I'm saying you did amazing, I say with my whole body, because I believe you did that one thing amazingly. The rest might be crap. But that one thing was amazing. And I will concentrate on that because that thing is amazing. And it feels much better to praise somebody and that person feels great and they go, hmm, that felt good. Let me do it again. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, when we're around seven, our parents, and it happens all over the world. It's not US culture. It's all over the world. We decide that now those seven-year-olds are adults or something and they're supposed to know what they're doing. And again, That does not exclude putting boundaries into place and making sure that some things are unacceptable and it's very clear to the little person or the big person. Because what happens is if you don't set clear rules to kids, they grow up adults as people pleasing. Oh, hold on. Let's dig into that a little bit more. If you don't set boundaries for children, they grow up to be people pleasers? Mm-hmm. How do those two things correlate? So boundaries create safety. Boundaries create understanding that if it's not your way, you're still loved. Okay. Now, so, when you're people pleasing, you're looking for love. That is, okay. you're looking for acknowledgement. And because when people say no, you correlate that and associate that with not being loved or being dismissed or being pushed away first step to learning setting boundaries is having boundaries as a kid knowing that your parents said no and refused to do something yet they still love you and you feel loved okay now i get it i was still wondering where you were going with that but okay now i get it you're able to hear no and still feel valued and When we're grown up, you know, women, especially, and men, um, I call this the good guy syndrome. 
And it's so detrimental to men and their ego and their belief in themselves and their self-worth. And they're doing because they were taught that you got to do what the woman or your partner wants and mm-hmm. they're going to be happy. The problem with that is that if you're doing things that you're thinking you're sacrificing yourself and it's not okay with you, you're betraying yourself. You're doing things that you don't want to do. So you're letting yourself down because the first person in the world you got to keep the word to is you. If I tell myself, I'm going to go and exercise, you bet I'm going to go and exercise even if I totally don't feel like it. Why? Because then I know I am in integrity. Mm-hmm. And it serves me and I'm doing things that are good for me. Right. If we do things that we don't want to do just to please somebody, and guess what? Very often that person is expecting more and more because they've learned that happiness is the responsibility of the outside world, not them. Mm-hmm. But happiness is my responsibility. No man can make me happy. He can enhance my happiness, but he's not responsible for my happiness. Yeah. Okay. And the other way around. So you said a couple of things that I, I really, that really resonate. Um, I have a few questions, so we're gonna have to back up because. Let's go, Kanisha. Yeah, because Dominique, you just went, and I'm like, I'm, I'm taking notes. Flow. I'm like, he is <laughs> in a flow. I love it. Um, but I'm gonna start with this. I'm gonna give a shout out to my parents because, um, while I there are times that obviously I. I won't say obviously, but I think, oh, what are people going to think if I, you know, one of the examples is if I post too much on social media, am I going to be bothering people? Okay. Just right. That doesn't even logically make sense. But overall, as a person, because my parents have so many boundaries and told us no on a regular basis, I don't have, I I don't suffer from people pleasing at all. So it's so interesting (laughs) that you say that. I love it. So I'm going to give a shout out to my parents. Okay. First, I want to ask, you said neuron coding. Okay. Can you explain what neuron coding is so we can stay up with you as you're going through? Have you always dreamed of doing voiceover from home but have no idea how to get started? My name's Jesse Carroll and I put together the perfect course for you. It's called the Voiceover Jumpstart Course. It's a course that's designed to take you from knowing absolutely nothing about voiceover all the way to everything you need to know to be a working professional in only six weeks. So if you want more information, head over to jessiecarrollcoaching.com and you can even book a one-on-one call with me if you want to find out if it's right for you. So thanks for listening to the Coach Up Podcast and hope to see you in the course. So Neuron Coding utilizes neuropsychology, NLP, and a few other methods that are combined into one that are designed to connect your brain and your body and default you to the best behavior. It's one of the methods to get rid of procrastination, fear of failure, fear of success, anxiety, self-doubt, self-loathing, imposter syndrome, PTSD, depression, and a few other things along the way. And it is designed by creating not only, but also scotomas, which are empty places in your brain where we can create new habits, support them and create default to the best behavior. Because as we know, 90% of our behavior is a habit. Hmm. So first step is recognizing that you're doing something repetitively. When you catch yourself being able to rewire and we help with that. And it's a way of coaching asking questions and creating 
in NLP, it's called an anchor in neuropsychology as well. There's a beautiful, if you guys go to YouTube, um, there's a beautiful, beautiful way um, that you can see it's a, I don't know, what, like one minute, 30 seconds video of how neural pathways are created. You literally see neurons going together and connecting a neural pathway. And that's the time every time you have a new experience or a different thought. And then every time it's repeated, that's where it goes from the hair, what I've explained. So that's neuroencoding, using your brain and neuropsychology to rewire your brain so you can default to your best behavior. What okay. is important to understand that when you're really, really stressed, very often the old behaviors do come up. Those right. old behaviors never go away, just to be very clear. Never? Might, never. They might be weak. They might be very you know, thin, but they will stay there. And as soon as you give them a chance, they will come back. Now, the hope is that by the time you finish your coaching, hopefully within a year, not longer. Um, by the way, if you're a therapist, psychologist, whatever you're using, you've been there two, three years, change them because their method is not working. This should not take 10, 15 years. Just it shouldn't. That method didn't work for you. Find another method that might or a different coach, different trainer, different psychiatrist. Simple as that. Anyway, so when you have those behaviors, they will stay there. And guess what? If I'm 48, just turned 48 a few days ago, Related. I want to be me for 48 years. And if yeah. I would just start coaching, guess what? I'm at a baby stage learning new behaviors because I've practiced these behaviors for 48 years. So that's why I'm saying most of the time, I mean, they will never disappear. They will fade out, mm -hmm. but they can come back. But the hope is that you have enough tools at the end of coaching, therapy, wherever you go, that you can use those tools and revert back to what's serving you better. Okay. So let me pause you and say, because I had written this down, as you talked about, you can rewire the brain. Yes. You have other tools. Can you give us an example? And so, um, I don't, I don't know. We were talking when I wrote it down. You were talking about food, I think, but changing maybe the way you eat. But in any situation, what's an example of a technique that you would coach someone to utilize to rewire the brain out of one pathway okay, so to then build a new one? One of the things that is connected with Dr. Amen Nern coding: getting stuck, right? We have something called anterior cingulate. That Say part again. of your brain, anterior cingulate. Okay. That is your gear shifter. That is what gets stuck when you're stuck on the same thought over and over and over again. So one of the techniques, which at the beginning you do need assistance, later on you don't, is create a distraction where that thought disappears for a second and you're able to input another thought, another question that points your brain in a different direction. That's first thing. Second thing that you can do, which is taught by many, many trainers, is change your physiology. Now, let me ask you, do you know anybody who's severely depressed and sitting, moping and crying that can get up and dance and just have a blast? Not typically. No, you don't, because people who are depressed will sit in a corner, be sad and mope, because that's their body language that's associated with the brain. Now, when you give somebody high five, what do you naturally do? Give me high five for the camera. 
smile. Absolutely. And guess what? You didn't think, oh, I'm giving high five. I got a smile. You're literally wired to do that because you've done it so many times and it's associated with something positive. So now we can use how our brain works to create new associations and then practice them. So that's what we mean by rewiring. And Food plays a big part. Some people, for example, get very tired after eating carbs. Not everybody, not every brain type. Sometimes um, there is a really cool, um, I don't remember, and I'm not going to quote him, but Dr. Amen gives an example of a couple that when a man, the husband wanted her to change her opinion and listen to him because she was very oppositional, um, the prescription from Dr. Amen was feed her carbs then half an hour later, take her for a walk. And that's when you're going to do serious conversations. And if you look up Dr. Amen, there is an episode about that. Hmm. The guy came back after three months because, oh my God, you saved my marriage. Really? Brain type required certain practices. And every brain type that we have has certain patterns and practices that are required. So if you get stuck, there are ways to get unstuck. If you have repetitive thoughts, which are called ants, automatic negative thoughts there are ways to question your brain to snap yourself out of it i very often ask everybody i'm like let's just say you're a normal person if you would talk to somebody the way you talk to yourself in your head how many friends would you have right sometimes probably not many probably zero i I knew that when i started this journey like the fact that people were friends with me i think was a miracle they deserve like I don't know, a monument or something, a a send of flowers every week because I was terrible Mm. and I didn't realize it. It wasn't that I didn't like them. The way I reacted automatically, I was in a protective mode. So everything was an attack and it wasn't them. It was me. Mm -hmm. That's the first step. But what happened was I started questioning my brain and that was technique that also teaches from Dr. Amen. And my brain required different things. And I started learning, my coach at that time gave me an exercise. I invite you to do it. Um, if you're one of those people that put yourself down in your brain, I'm awful, I'm terrible, nobody loves me, I'm disgusting. Uh, how could I have done this? Blah, 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 blah. You do all this stuff that a lot of us do. Take a box, shoe box, make a little open place, like, you know, a guinea pig, like the, the pig for money. Mm-hmm. And have a little piece of paper. And every time you have a negative thought, write it down and put it in the box. Mm. My coach had me do that for a month. I just want you to think, I guess, how many little pieces of paper could I have done in a month? Gosh, you're writing down every negative thought. I'm going to guess. Negative. Anytime I put myself down or I, you know, cursed at myself or I said something, oh, you're stupid, or you're an idiot, whatever. Okay. So in 30 days, I would probably push somewhere around 500. Good. 738. Now, if I would do that to people that I know, there's no way anybody would be friends with me. Right. And there's no way they would like me. So there was no way I could have liked myself. Uh, That's good. That makes sense. Okay. So that's a great exercise for people to do. Absolutely. And you don't need a coach for that. It it gives you an aha moment. Now, when you realize that, what are you going to do about it? Right. Because knowing, and then there's another thing people say, oh, knowledge is power. I'm sorry, but that's not true. Knowledge is not power. Using knowledge is power. I know so many people that are super smart and they're still 
sitting in a corner and just being smart. And their life looks exactly the same way it looked 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go to development programs, which I absolutely love, but yeah. they're addicted to the high. Mm-hmm. It doesn't translate into doing anything afterwards. They don't make any changes. They go, oh my God, it was amazing. The energy, I loved it. And then they go back to doing their old things. Okay. Yes. It is, again, a choice. They choose, this is their addiction high. And education is my uh, shiny object. And I also learned that I don't do more than two or three programs a year. And if Mm. I do it, I choose three to five things that I implement. And I will not go to another program unless that becomes an unconscious competence. And that was a promise I made to myself. Saved me a lot of money and time. Because it turns out that the high is great. But the results, if you implement it, are even better. That is a bar. Okay, you mentioned this also, and you just said it again. So I want to ask you to explain what it means. Unconsciously, you said unconsciously conscious. Unconscious competence. Competence. So can you explain those four? Can you state them and then explain what they are? Okay, so everything, if you don't know what you don't know, you can't do anything about it. So you're unconsciously incompetent. Mm -hmm. You don't know that you're supposed to do anything else. So Expecting you to do it would be kind of crazy. Then you're competent. Consciously. Consciously consciously incompetent. And then you go, hmm, I'm doing this wrong. Now, that's great. What happens next, you become consciously competent, meaning that you will consciously make sure that you do the right thing. And it's not going to be automatic. You're going to have to put your intention. Okay, every time I walk in a door, and that's something Joseph McKeldin III teaches, I absolutely invite you that he's the neuro um, PhD neuropsychologist that taught me and trained me. Before you walk in the door, you just think I'm amazing. And then the door of Whole Foods or whatever else opens and you walk in. Now, the feeling of that is absolutely magnificent. Some people look at you like you're absolutely nuts, but you come in with this joy and you attract attention, not because you walked in, it's because the joy is coming out of you. So you're doing this on purpose to feel the joy. And then unconscious competence is when it happens naturally. You don't need to think about it. You just do it. There's no, oh, I'm going to do this now. It's kind of like which hand you use to pick up a cup. Mm-hmm. Unconscious competence. There you I'm go. Thinking, it's, oh, it's going to be right hand now. Yeah. You just go. It's like the highway that started off as a little bit of hair. And now you it's like the highway. That, don't you? It's a, it's a great example. It gives a really great visual because in my head, I think about, you know, we most of us have seen a brain somewhere and yeah. all of the pathways in it. And so that that's a really great visual for me. So thank you for explaining that. Now I'm curious about brain types. Are there a certain number of brain types because you've mentioned it okay there are she's shaking her head for those of you all who can't see this okay so how many and I'm not going to ask you to go into it that's why people can reach out to you and work with you I would not be able even to discuss everyone because they're so different and so intertwined but how many are there approximately there are five major ones and then you have derived from there and it's 16 okay right all right so you know what, when I said arterial cingulate, basal ganglia, thalamus, prefrontal cortex, all of those. 
So if they're not getting enough oxygen, if they're not getting enough blood flow, if they're not getting enough nutrients from your gut, they will be not at the optimum level. And brain types in theory cannot change unless, for example, you played football or you played soccer with your head. Because every time you hit the ball or you hit something with your head, your brain inside on daily basis is like warm butter and your skulls has ridges. So every time you hit it, it makes an indentation. Mm. Some people say, oh, he had an accident, he fainted and he has no deficiency in his brain. In theory, what if you look at the study that Dr. Amen did um, with the NFL players where their personalities and behaviors would change after they left NFL, after they finished playing, a few years passed and they started either drinking, taking drugs, being aggressive, doing crazy stuff. It's not that they were bad people. Their brain suffered so many small injuries that it took its toll. So I strongly invite you that if, for example, you had a car accident where your head was hit, your child lost, you know, consciousness, those are injuries on your brain and they will show up sooner or later in some type of a deficiency. So what you can do is make sure that, for example, you oxygenate the brain and you use something called hyperbaric oxygenating chamber. I highly recommend, it's great for your memory, it's great for your brain to get revitalized as a non-invasive method. Some um, insurance do cover it, some don't. What is important is that you get the blood flow going and you make sure that the person eats right and maybe do outside exercises, maybe do meditation, add on things so the brain can regenerate. Okay. Now, that is very, very important because we can exchange a lot of um, body parts, but I don't know if we can yet exchange the brain. And I'm gonna ask you one thing, where who you are is stored, your memories, your reference points, your personality, your knowledge. Yeah. Who you are is your brain. If your brain doesn't work right, you don't work right. right. It's not you per se, it's the brain, it's the organ. That's why being at least aware and taking that into consideration, preventing from brain degeneration, it is so important. And there are, you know, more and more studies on Alzheimer's and dementia. We know way, way more right now. But do you know that plaques, for example, for dementia show up when you're about 25 in your brain, but you don't have any effects? Wow, so that's interesting. Knows when you're 25, 30 years old, they will show up in your brain. And there are a lot of scans of people who are young and they're functioning perfectly, cognitively perfectly. If you catch that at an early stage and you work on your brain with a designated brain coach or whomever else you want to work with and you work on, for example, playing table tennis, pickleball, learning languages and enhancing blood flow to your brain and doing other things that I could talk about forever, you can actually prevent the development or slow down development. There are some cases where people would die cognitively aware if they caught it at the right time. Okay, you said you you were talking about the activities that you can do to slow down or prevent, for example, dementia. Um, and so I was gonna ask, and so you, you mentioned a couple, like 
you can learn new languages or um there was another one pickleball okay so you you actually as a coach can provide activities that people can do that will help to reprogram or overlap make stronger new neurons neuropathways that then will help prevent those that are harmful to you. So my question that also matches the other question, can you give us two more? So pickleball languages is great, two more. Um, and then you, and then I want to add to that, you talked about feeling. So you were talking about, you're using dementia as an example. That's a condition that can be diagnosed. And like you said, it has ridges in the brain. So you can see that. But you've also talked about feeling anxiety, feeling depression. Doesn't necessarily mean you have it. Yeah. And so give us two more things to do. And then I want to understand what you mean by separating the feeling of something from the actual physical, the real diagnosis of it. So let's start with ideas. What else can you do now? Don't get me wrong. These are the things that help your brain stay alive and be working properly. Nothing in this world is 100% guaranteed. Yet, if you don't try, you won't know if it works. So one of the things um, that has been proven to work phenomenally is equally praying and meditating. Now, I'm putting them equally because if you go, oh, dear Lord, please thank you, forgive me, and blah, 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 and you just rush through that doesn't do anything for your brain if you can get yourself to a state where you feel ecstatic or crying or emotionally full when you're praying that is working wonders for your brain the same thing with meditation if you're just sitting there and going oh my god when is this gonna be over this is so boring yeah it's not gonna work you actually need to feel those things so now we're going to the feeling and being. Mm -hmm. We are human beings. We're not human doings. Mm -hmm. We're not human feelings. Feeling is a temporary state. If it becomes permanent, it becomes being. And it becomes your identity. Now, let's give an example. I'm epileptic. In theory, I could identify as a person who's disabled with epilepsy. That's one of the questions in all the US, you know, when you apply for jobs. And, you know, do you have any, are you disabled do you, or do you have epilepsy? I could identify as, and then I would assume that there are certain things that are necessary for me and should be given to me, which would be my perception of the world. And if I wouldn't get it, I would get upset. That's my identity. I'm epileptic. I won't um, go there because I'm epileptic. Uh, I, I cannot do this task because I'm epileptic. It becomes your crutch. Whatever you are, you are not your illness. You are not your disorder. This is the same thing when I, I'm not talking about severe epilepsy, people who have five, six, seven, eight years today. I'm talking people like me who used to have once a month, once every six months. It's still epilepsy. But to be honest, you can get a cold and be as, you know, 
feeling as crappy as us after having a seizure. We just look terrible when we see so and looks really scary and everybody thinks we're drug addicts, right? That That's the typical association of an epileptic because on TV, the only seizures you see are people who overdosed mm. and it looks the same, but it's not the same cause. So when you're feeling something, it's a signal from the world, from your body, from your brain that something is off. Your job is to take this as an information not keep rewinding the information to keep looking at it because you're not going to get anything out of it. Mm -hmm. And if you do not stop doing that, it will become a permanent identity. For example, I am an immigrant. Now, if I start identifying on daily basis as an immigrant, then I would expect that I'll be treated a certain way. So my brain will go, okay, so people, Americans don't like immigrants in some areas. So if I go there, any type of, you know, behavior, like somebody not smile and be, oh yeah, it's because I'm immigrant because I have an accent. The question is, did that person really care that I'm an immigrant or they just had a bad day and they just ended up talking to me and they didn't smile and I wanted them to smile so they didn't meet my expectations. Mm. This comes to the study that um, I can send it to you. I have a link to it. It's a revised study of four different studies done in England and on a campus at a college. Total of those four studies is more or less 180 people. Now, those people are women, and that's very, very important because our perception of the world is very different than culturally perception of the world by men. Those women were taken and they were told that one group of women, you have allergies and the person you're gonna be talking to knows, fill in the questionnaire on the back, put an X that you have allergies. Second person was, and those were four different studies at four different times. I'm putting that all together because that's what they analyzed those four studies. Then another group of women was told that you have epilepsy, that person knows you have epilepsy and please put an X, in the back of the questionnaire that you have epilepsy. The third person said, hey, we're gonna put a scar on your face and it's big, you know, from ear to here, huge scar. But right before they left the room, they said, we need to do some touch-ups before you go for that conversation. Please um, let me do the touch-up. And while they were doing the touch-up, um, they of course saw that, you know, the scar, they took away the mirror, they took away the scar. That person leaving the room was convinced, that's very important, that they still have the scar. And, and it was still they, visible. Yes, but it wasn't. It wasn't even there. Okay. So they went into an interaction with other people. Um, and they had about five to seven minute conversations. And then they were taken out of the room and they were asked questionnaires. In the meantime, they saw that those people had those, so they thought, um, surveys where they marked that they're epileptic, they're, um, they have allergies, and this card, there was no need to mark anything. Now, those people did have those, but didn't have that information on there. It was this kind of, they, they switched out. So okay. it was on the other side. They never saw, they never knew that that person had epilepsy. People with epilepsy and the facial scar that wasn't there, that belief, reported being mistreated, aggression, gazing and other things because they were convinced that this is the reason now people with allergies didn't and they were wondering why it didn't happen with allergies and they came to a conclusion not a final one but that was a conclusion in most of those studies those four that allergies are socially acceptable 
but epilepsy and facial scars aren't. Hmm. So what happened later, they took people who had no clue about experiment and they had them watch the tapes and fill in the same questionnaires. No surprise. They didn't notice any gazing. They didn't notice any mistreatment. And that's why the identity, I'm epileptic, is so hurtful. I am a victim is so hurtful. I'm disabled is so hurtful because subconsciously they didn't mean any bad things by it. they're not bad people. It was their belief that people with epilepsy are being mistreated. So any type of behavior got the interpretation that it is because I'm epileptic. It is because I have a facial scar. Mm. There was nothing there. It was the interpretation which yeah. in today's world, it is so, so dangerous right now yeah. because we take as our values and our beliefs and we project them into the world. That doesn't mean that some people will mistreat you because they have a facial scar. Of course they will, because there are some people that have that belief. And I have experience after, you know, seizing where uh, I woke up on the floor, I came to, and there were people saying they should stop letting people use drugs. Obviously, they assumed I was a drug addict, mm. right? There's no doubt about that. And I cannot change that. Yet, majority of people I encounter either don't know what that is, so I teach them, and it really doesn't matter to them. And if it does, that's okay, because maybe they don't have the coping skills. But it's not something that is affecting me, because it's not my identity. It's a temporary feeling, and when it shows up, I let it go, because I know that most people are not like that. It's right. not the world against me. So um, that is why the feeling and being is so different and so important that you do not identify as a victim, as a depressed person, as a, you know, I. why does it always happen to me? Always what? Is it happening to you right now? Well, right. no, but always. Okay, so where is those? Well, two weeks ago. Oh, so what happened for the last two weeks? Mm -hmm. oh so it's not always oh okay so maybe yeah. we can eat once in a while right Correct. there are ways of detaching those things that you lump in your brain and your brain doesn't do very well with words like always never everyone everything because it creates this huge lump that it's you against the world mm. and that is hurting you because then you see me against them and i gotta protect myself and guess what if you're in a protective mode and you're like don't talk to me. They go, what is wrong with her? Why is she so distant, right? Why is she not nice? So they go, okay, well, whatever. See, I told you people don't like me. Right. But it's because of your perception that you're projecting of how you're, you believe you're being perceived yes. that then creates how you act and react. Okay. Yeah. I could talk to you for a much longer time, but I can only take so much of my guest time. So I want to turn the conversation from the amazing information you you shared and just the opening of the brainwaves of how to think about things and to recognize the brain's op the operation of the brain and how it truly affects the rest of, of us as a human being, as well as our bodies affecting our brain, which is... So good. Um, I just want to add one more thing to you because that's so important to connect all of that. Your thoughts and your brain are connected to your beliefs. So whatever you believe, you will think. And when you think, it releases different hormones 
that make you feel something. And then when you feel, it's a reaction, physical reaction. So when you're happy, you go, yay, right? And then whatever you feel, you do. Mm-hmm. So what you think is what you feel. What you feel is what you do. Is what you do. Is what you have. Yeah. And pattern can be broken. And every one of those we spoke about are also neuropathways. Your beliefs are neuropathways. Your thoughts are neuropathways. All of that can be rewired and changed if you choose to work on it. Yeah. And you can, part of that changing is what you do. You can do to change the way you think, as you talked about Absolutely. earlier. Right? Like high five and we automatically smile. <laughs> okay. Yep. Break up that monotony. I want to talk about when you went into coaching, because I want people to know how they can work with you as a coach. Um, But I'm curious about when you moved into coaching. If you work from home, if you are a remote worker, if you're a business worker and you work from home and you sometimes just wish you could get together with other people who work from home. You just wish you could get out of your house and just be around other people who are working as dedicated and focused as you are, but you get to be in the space of other fellow remote workers. You want to join the Coffee Shop Coworkers Facebook group. We are connecting people all over the country in coffee shops where you can go for free, meet other like-minded people, to hang out, to work together, whether it's for two hours, whether it's for four hours, whether it's all day, but you get to connect with people like you who are working from home, who want to be around other people and still get work done and just create a new network. So come check out the Facebook page, join the Facebook page, Coffee Shop Coworkers today so we can start connecting you to fellow future coworkers. in, um, as a brain coach, um, like, oh, how do I, how do I ask this? Okay. Let's start with here. When, how long have you been doing this? I've been a brain coach for over three years, but I've been a coach for over 15 years. Ah, so you have longevity in the game. What kind of coach were you prior to being a brain coach? I was a career coach. Ah, very cool. So I did use life coaching techniques. And it was so not rewarding. Finding six-figure income to another six-figure CEO, it was just, yeah, paid well, but it was so meaningless and I didn't do anything good for the world. And I was like, ah, yeah, no. And then I worked on me and then I found Dr. Amen and Dr. Joseph McKeldin III and I fell in love. You know why? Because this was the first program for coaching that had science in it. I literally have access to scientific evidence that what I'm doing makes sense it's not just me talking that you know I think I feel no there are signs there has been studies done and what's beautiful about it both of these programs have offered development calls every week for last three years I have not stopped learning since I finished I literally uh, I have notes and notes and I study every day and I'm wondering this is amazing, but is my brain going to explode? And it's phenomenal because we practice, we have, now I also train young coaches at the Neuron Coding Institute and I support them in their journey, which is a privilege. But both of these programs offered support calls for now three years. I haven't seen anything like this. So if you are looking to grow and you're serious, 
there is just, it's a phenomenal, both of those programs are phenomenal. And okay. if you're a doctor, absolutely go to Dr. Amen. I think it's five CU points or 15, like a lot. And he teaches you reading brain scans and other things where you learn the techniques I use so you can use it in your practice as a medical professional. Gotcha. That, that is a good reference because yeah, like I said, what you've shared, I, I love that you give credit where credit is due, where you've learned it. And I think that's, oh, absolutely. absolutely. I think that's so important. Okay. So you've been, you've built a coaching business for 15 years. You switched into the brain coaching. So your clientele switched. So how did you find your clients that you now work with and how do you continue to find them? So first thing I do, I go to a lot of meetings. What kind of meeting? I go to BNIs, chambers of commerce, conferences, anywhere I can go. And I'm just being my bubbly self. (laughs) Which is lovely. (laughs) That's number one. Number two, I have regular posts and things that I do online. I do free webinars. Um, I do not do freebies because freebie usually, I associate freebies, the ones that I ever got, were low quality. I'm not going to spam you with low quality. You're either going to get high quality for me, something that you can use. And if it's a freebie for everybody, then it's for nobody. Literally. So I stopped doing freebies, but I do webinars that are free once in a while. I'm guests on podcasts where I share the knowledge. So you guys can pick and choose whatever would work for you. Mm -hmm. And another way I get clients, I get referrals. My clients, some, there's one client that I told her, I'm like, can you go? Like, you don't need me. You really don't need me. Please go. Maybe I'll refer you to a different coach. You know, you learn something new. So no, I like it. I, I like going through things with you. I'm like, but you know, I cannot give you anything else. You're doing great. You have no friends. Um, you lost weight. You're thriving. You're you're buying boats. You're traveling. You're enjoying your relationship with your kids. Everything is going great. Your brain is going great. Your memory is going great. I have nothing more to give you. She goes, oh yeah, I know, but but I want to stay. <laughs> well, I think that's important because you said earlier, you've been with your therapist, your counselor, or your psychologist or psychiatrist yes. for longer than two, three years, get a new one. Because you say within a year of working with you, if you're doing, if the client is doing the work, they should be ready to progress on. And so I think that's an important t- point to talk about really quickly for coaches um, as far as how do you make sure that the transformation that you are providing to your clients, that that is occurring and you're not <laughs> like you're a sweet client who wants to stay with you forever. Just hang so, on. The thing is that we're not providing any transformation. We have the tools that we provide you with and you create your own transformation with the tools we provide you with. Because I can practice that for you on a daily basis. I cannot stop what you're thinking. I can teach you how to do it. I can ask you the right questions. I can give you aha moments that will motivate you or put you in a space where you're like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I really want to do this. Yet at the end of the day, your neural pathways are a little hair and we need to build, build you know, those big highways. And the only way to do it is repetition. I can't do that for you. So one of the things I found is that I am very clear on what I can coach you on and what I won't coach you on. So for example, I have um, one client that is doing great and I see that he 
it's a man will want he wants to grow as a man discover him as a man those who don't see me i'm a very femininely built woman mm -hmm. i have no clue how to be a man like none whatsoever so when we're done with those things that i can help him with his brain stabilizing you know aggression other things that he's working on i will say hey i have a great coach for you i know you love me and you want to stay with me but these things like um becoming a masculine man who has able to you know who feels a man i have no clue how to feel like a man i don't i can't help him with it right but i know coaches that i can refer you to if you come to me as an alcoholic actively drinking alcoholic or actively taking drugs i have coaches that have been where you are i will refer you out mm. I will not coach you on everything. And the brain component is very important. If you're, you know, schizophrenic, if you have bipolar disorder, that's not my thing. That's Dr. Amen, you know, therapy, um, psychiatrists. I can support them. And if your doctor, you know, is saying, oh, you need pills, I can support to get you off the pills, but I'm not the person to prescribe that. So if you have severe um, brain issues that I am not qualified to do, I'll refer you out. Um, if you have lost a pet and you're going through a traumatic experience, there are coaches that specialize in that and I have them. I will happily refer you out. Um, so you can do and know what you can't do. You can't coach on everything. If somebody says I can coach on everything, I would worry. Or they have a very, very beautiful, very colorful life that I would not want to have because that means they can actually relate to everything. And you know, I have great coaches that, for example, there are some people that want to work because they're of color. They go, you can't understand me when it comes to color issues. No, I cannot. I can, you know, I can relate in some ways being partially Jewish, but absolutely not as a person of color. So I have five or six coaches that are of color and I'll go, hey, let me refer you to a person that looks like you. Yeah. So what I'm also hearing is it's important to have a network, to be a yes. part of a network because that serves absolutely. your clients better for sure okay dominica i do have a responsibility to ask you my before you go quick fire round questions right you ready yes okay dominica one yes. tool or app that you use that you would not do business without right now one app that i would not do business without right now mm -hmm. zoom a good one Okay. And there is a reason for that because it allows me to have transcripts of all our conversations and allows me to concentrate on my clients. So before I go to a next meeting, I read the transcript. So I know where we left off. And I can look at you and talk to you instead of take notes. That is one of the apps that's on there, isn't it? Yes. <sighs> Never thought that is a gem. I never thought about that. I mean, I don't do coaching sessions and okay, but I, okay, let me ask you this. Do you have to do it? Do you have to turn on the app while you're live or can you do it after the recording? Can you do it from the recording? When it's recording, it's doing automatically the transcript. <gasps> you just helped me again. Thank you. Okay. Love that. Okay. What tool do you use to collect your payments from your clients? I have Stripe, I have PayPal, I have Venmo, and I have regular bank transfers and I have Zelle. Love it. She said, however you need to get it to me, you can. 
your most effective method for finding and securing new clients? You might have just talked about that, but the most effective. I think the most effective is me. I, it's, it's to be honest, the personality, if somebody connects with me, they will be my client. And um, post things, we do a lot of posting because you need to be, I don't know if you know, but there's a new study that you need to expose yourself about 60 times before people will actually react to you. So that takes forever. But a personal connection that people crave is so rare. The old methods never die. Videos, send a video instead of a text message, you know, voice messages, little things that do not cost anything, but allow you to be human. Because when I get somebody from the coaching space sending me, I help you, you know, get 50,000 leads and I'm the best. And I'm like, and you just sent me an automatic message. And is that how you're going to promote me? I don't want to hire you. I'm not going to hire anybody who's doing automatic messages and copy paste and whoever jumps in. Mm. That's not the quality I want to present. And if that means I have less clients, so be it. Clients will come the right ones. But they will come for the quality, not for being one of many. Ah, that's good. And this time that I've gotten to spend this time with you, as well as the first time I met you, I know why people will want to work with you. You just you just draw people in. It's, that's why this has been such an amazing time to spend with you. Thank you for being here. It is absolutely my pleasure to be your guest and be a guest to your audience. I hope they got a lot of value and they will be able to implement some things and and have the little aha moments. Absolutely. Okay, two more questions. One thing you attribute the most weight to in scaling your business to six figures. Consistency. There is grit and consistency. And no matter how you feel and how it looks, you're going to post, you're going to, and trust me, there are days I'm like, I now have a team that posts for me, but I prepare all the quotes. I prepare all the videos. They just do the you know pretty things. And sometimes I, I'm like, what am I going to talk about? So what do I do? I listen to people who inspire me. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool one. I can talk about that one. See, world is full of knowledge. You don't have to know everything. You need to know where to look. That's good. Okay. That... I'm going to use. That's going to be an inspiration for one of my talks. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Last question. One book or a podcast you'd recommend as a must to consume? So that is a very good question. And I would go for a book for beginners, The Power of Habit. Okay. It's a phenomenal book that shows you how automated you are and how thoughtless you are in your daily life. And it teaches you how you can break those patterns and kind of expand your horizons to look different way. Because as my, one of my coaches says, you know anybody who became amazing when they were comfortable? Oh. It doesn't happen. No. Growth and being amazing happens out of, outside of your comfort zone. And there is no other way. There is no magic pill. There is no rewire my brain because rewiring is uncomfortable very often. It puts you in a situation which is not natural. Before we go, the, I don't know who sees us, who listens to us. But if you take your hands and then 
clasp them together, cross the fingers, you'll automatically put one of the thumbs down and the one over. Now try to take your hands apart and do the same thing, but consciously switch which one is on the bottom, which one is on the top. For your body it means absolutely nothing and you will feel so uncomfortable just by switching those two thumbs. So imagine how discomfort can actually be a part of your life because that's exactly what's going to happen if you want to be amazing. Those people who achieved success, they weren't comfortable on the couch watching TV. They did things that they didn't like. They introduced themselves to people who told them to go away and they failed. Well, no, they didn't fail. They took lessons. Mm. Every no got them closer to a yes, as Carrie J. Lima says, right? So there are phenomenal people listen, learn. And another thing I would say, uh, we have our own people that we follow and we want to embody. And we have our mentors. What we want is to be real in who you are. So whatever everybody is teaching you, ask yourself, does that resonate with me? Because I've been told I should have a podcast, I should have a show, I should open a book, I should do this, I should do that. I'm like, uh, is that me? Is that going to come? My because the only people we work with are the people we trust. And we can only trust if you're authentic. And if you're true, so that you know that that person is who they present to be. And say no to all those ideas if they don't resonate with you. It doesn't mean they're going to, you know, be a no forever. It's a no for now. That's how you get clients too, right? Ah. I said one time, second time, but then they remember that you're around and the time came when they did need your help and they go, remember we spoke a year ago? I'm like, really? We did? Yeah. So I, I would like to buy your services. That's fantastic. Here's my contract, right? But you stayed around and don't get mad because you're not ready for everything at every moment of the time. You're not ready to hear everything. There's a moment for everything. And the person who has to be ready is not the coach, it's you. That's good. And I think that applies to everything. Even everything that you share today, I have listened. Those of you guys who will listen, there's something or some things that Dominica has shared that will resonate immediately. And then you'll have to come back and listen to it and something else will resonate. And like you said earlier, then it's about the applying, but it's all about us. How do we take it in? How do we process? How do we apply? Ah, oh, okay. I don't think we could end it any better than that. Will you, before we go, tell everybody how they can reach out to you and connect with you? Well, that's a fantastic question. And the answer is wherever you go on the internet, your brain coach, the on LinkedIn, Dominika Staniewicz on LinkedIn, that's the only difference. Then you have Dominika Staniewicz on Facebook, your brain coach, the on Facebook, your brain coach, the on Instagram, your brain coach, the as my website. And I'm happy to say that I just launched an amazing three month hybrid program that you guys get for a phenomenal price because you're going to get at least eight hours of life coaching with me in a group setting. So not only videos, homework, and worksheets, but also support group and WhatsApp or other medium that we choose for you guys and live coaching sessions where you get to ask questions and get coached live so you can get as much value as you can. So definitely head to my website, you know, and 
what there's a coaching field there are short videos you get to watch on youtube you can find me as your brain coach d i'm everywhere your brain coach d so guys love you lunch and learn grow and just enjoy your life and if you're not enjoying it stop saying it's okay get out of the okay club go to the amazing club thank you for listening to another episode of the coach up podcast if you learned something in this episode or you were challenged by something and you enjoyed it, please leave a review. Would love to hear your feedback. And be sure to connect and follow Coach Dominica, especially if you found something said in this interview that struck home with you, that you know you are challenged with, and you would like some help with how to improve that through improving your brain health, reach out to her, connect with her. As always, thank you for showing up and being a part of the Coach Up podcast and listening. Please remember, share with your friends, invite people to listen, and we will continue to bring you great episodes with great guests to help you grow your business.